0: Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 35 of The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I'm your host, and in today's show, Chris will be joining us very, very shortly. But first of all, a big huge thank you and shout out to a couple of people who have recently joined our coffee club. That's right, um, you may have heard in previous episodes that... uh, You can support the Big Cruise Podcast by simply donating a coffee. Now, we have had some questions about, you know, how do I claim the coffee? Well, it's not really donating a coffee. It's donating the price of a coffee. Um, And it's done via a a portal called um, Buy Me A Coffee. And basically for about $4, £2 something, €2 something, you can make a donation of one or multiple coffees. Or you can buy a monthly subscription to get additional content to the Big Cruise Podcast or you could do an annual membership if you prefer. But uh, really, is the choice is yours, and it is as little as $4 Australian, £2-ish, €2-ish, um, and that makes a big difference to uh, contribute to the, the cost of uh, putting this podcast t- together on a weekly basis. So a huge shout-out to um, two people. Um, for, First of all, to Faye in New South Wales. You shouted out five coffees last week, which is incredible. Um, that's really going to help us out uh, to uh, in the next couple of weeks or so. And also to uh, S Staples, you also donated um, a, a coffee as well. So thank you very, very much. Without people like you, it is not physically possible uh, to do the Big Cruise Podcast, and we are forever grateful. Also, just a quick reminder, you know that we have got the the, the Cruise Podcast merchandise or uh, festive T-shirts, et cetera, available. Now, uh, mailing for Christmas to Australia and the U.S. and elsewhere in the world does cut off on thir- sorry, on the 4th of December. Um, for those of you in the UK and Ireland and Europe, um, traditional delivery is still available just for about an extra week or so. Um, and do remember that these uh, T-shirts are all organic cotton. They are printed and manufactured using uh, green electricity, and uh, there is no plastic packaging anywhere in the whole uh, process. So if you're looking for a festive T-shirt, if you're looking for a cruise T-shirt, or you want to simply design a unique... An ethical gift for a friend or family member, um, then you can do so. Just click on the link in the show notes of this episode or head to our website uh, where you'll also find the link to the, the t-shirt. Now, tell you, show we've got Chris joining us in just a moment. We've got Maritime History, we've got uh, Cruise News, and we've also got a listener question. And just a reminder, if you do have a question yourself or if you want to send in a cruise review, you go to our website, thebigcruisepodcast.com, uh, click on Join the Show, pop in your details, send it all through to me, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to, Touching base and answering those questions or completing the cruise review in the not-too-distant future. Now, we do only have a few more weeks of the Big Cruise podcast before we do take a little bike for Christmas. Um, But we're looking very much forward into what the cruise industry holds for us in 2021. I think it's going to be very exciting once this vaccine kind of hits in quarter one. There's going to be a big rush to get back out onto the ocean. And I, for one, are going to be part of that rush as well. But without further ado, let's head straight into today's episode. And it's the start of the show, and every week we always welcome our good friend and maritime historian to the show.
2: Chris, it's Friday. Welcome back to the show. Great to be back again, Barry. These weeks just keep flying past.
1: I know. It's uh, it's December in a couple of days, or it probably is December by the time the mm. listeners uh, get to pick up this podcast. Uh, but for maritime history this week, um, you're taking us back to 1887. And yep. am I reading this right? 1887 was the first
2: purpose-built cruise ship that's right yes i know right because i mean cruising is always sort of associated with like modern day travel it's been such a huge thing in recent years and um sort of like that cruising boom really that we experienced until this year um you know it sort of started up in the 1980s and and sort of is kind of synonymous with uh you know the evolution of travel and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. but um yeah the first ever purpose-built cruise ship designed for pleasure voyages not for line voyages was yeah, a ship yeah. called the saint son um as you say back in 1887 baz and um Ooh. she was built in scotland um and you can imagine you know 1887 the ocean liners themselves were very different to to yeah. um, you know modern ocean liners so this little ship um she was completely different to modern day cruise ships uh so like in terms of size, she could fit into the dining rooms on modern-day cruise ships. Um, <laughs> she, she was 71 metres in length and and only and had a width of nine nine 9.5 metres, so pretty oh, wow. small. Um, two, two main passenger decks, uh, all first class. So it wasn't first class the way we think of first class now, but it was all very expensive to go on these pleasure voyages so you you didn't have like multiple classes on board it, you could either yeah, afford yeah. it or you couldn't um and then there was uh you know limited facilities on board i mean only one of the two decks had um bathroom facilities built into them uh into the deck so like you know not on suite but you know bathrooms which we've spoken about in the past. Um, So if you were on the deck that didn't have that and you needed, you know, to use facilities in the middle of the night, you've of course had to go and find your your way down to the the other deck. Um, There was, you know, this is the 1880s. So um, things like, uh, you know, the size and the the movement of the ship were very different to what they are now. There wasn't stabilizers and that sort of thing to keep the the journey a bit more pleasant, but it was, um, you know, unique because people, had identified by this stage that there was a desire to travel and see the world and, you know, in the era before aircraft, uh, the only way to really do that was was by ship. So instead of having people were already doing cruises in so much as they could take um, different voyages on existing ocean liners to kind mm-hmm. of cobble together a cruise, yep, um, yep. you know, P&O was was quite pioneering here what they would do is they would offer you a, a passage from say Southampton or London to uh, into the Mediterranean then you'd leave the ship maybe in Cadiz or whatever and then change onto another ship and go across to Rome and then change onto another ship and go down to Egypt and that sort of thing but the ships yep. themselves weren't cruise ships they were just doing you know passenger point to point voyages, yep. point to point voyages and you could sort of just hop around on each of them to try and make yourself have a Mediterranean holiday, but this particular ship, she was, um, she was designed just for pleasure voyages. Um, and so she turned a lot of heads. She was very uh, popular when she arrived in different ports because people thought this was a bit of a spectacle and she looks a little bit different from the ocean liners because, you know, most of the ocean liners were designed to also carry cargo and mail. Um, and so, you know, you look at ships, um, from that era and you'll see the front of the ship, the bow and the stern, there's lots of cranes and machinery Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the loading of cars and mail and all that sort of stuff in port. This ship didn't have any of that. So it was all nice and clean, very clutter-free. It had um, lots more space for passengers to promenade and that sort of thing. Um, But what's interesting about Baz is even though that she was designed as a cruise ship, after having a cruise in Korea, she was sold and changed hands and was actually converted into a mail ship. (laughs) So she saw out the last part of her career running on the mail service and actually – um, survived all the way through to the 1930s and and, and was um, uh, actually uh, sadly at the end of her end of her career she sunk she was lost in the 1930s but um, the ship itself had had this distinction of being the first purpose-built cruise ship but ended her days doing um, commercial services so you know it was a it was a hard slog getting cruising to become mainstream uh, the way it is today back in yeah back in the day but this phil so fanta- in Scotland but where about the where did she sail well she was kind of a, a bit of a global wanderer um, oh, wow. in the early sense of of the words there's um, voyages she that voyages that she took through throughout um, throughout Europe but there's also you can find some um, some images uh, o- online and in the archives as well that show her um, you know over in the in the eastern uh, United States so she she did get um, she did move around quite a bit. She was a, you know, in you know, powered by the screw propeller. She had um, reciprocating machinery, so she was mechanically a very capable ship. Um, and you know, you think of cruise ships today. We talk about the distinction between the two and how the ocean liners had the long bow and the, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. The, the Saint a like with the exception of the fact that she didn't have all the machinery, she cu- she looks like an ocean liner of the time, so right. she was um, she was capable of, of of transiting deep water deep water oceans, but um, she just uh, didn't have the the design philosophy on the interior to accommodate the the point to point express services that the ships used to operate okay. then. Um, so that that's what made her kind of unique as a a purpose-built pleasure voyage ship.
1: <laughs> yeah. Incredible. So it wasn't 1980 was the birth of modern cruise, it was actually 1880 which was the start yeah. of the, the first cruise. Ship. Incredible. Years Incredible. Before, yeah, and again. Yeah.
2: So totally different um in terms of you know you would have passengers forming committees to organize entertainment on board the ships. The um you know, there were no big spaces for show lounges and all that sort of thing. It was all very basic, but it was the opportunity for you to travel in, you know, for the time relatively luxurious um, surroundings uh, without having to spend days in ports, um, either changing ships or having the ship um, repro- reprovisions with cargo and stuff like that. So it was a bit more sort of focused on that cruise or pleasure experience. Yeah. 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 Incredible.
1: Let's uh, let's go into uh, what's been happening over this uh, past week. We've had a couple of uh, extensions of pauses and some announcements of restarts. So we'll start off with P&O UK.
2: Yeah, so the P&O uh, fleet in the UK has been, um, like with everybody else, they've been in layup since March. Um, lots of wonderful um, and a bit eerie, I suppose, photographs on social media of these ships anchored off the coast of the United Kingdom because they're very close to, um, you know, coastal cities and stuff like that so you can see them very visually there Um, but they've now pushed back their restart until April of 2021 which is kind of in line with what their sister brand Cunard has done as well Mm -hmm. Um, and they both operate out of Carnival UK so they've got the same sort of um, teams I suppose that look after the the two brands and um, they've also said that uh, you know because the CDC's new guidelines um, for cruising out of the United States um, have some restrictions on lengths of cruises, and they're, they're definitely yeah. pushing towards shorter cruises. So, uh, PNO's itineraries for twenty twenty one had a, a long list of longer voyages that included the United States, because some of them start in the UK, or they also have Caribbean trips and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so, they've um, basically shelving almost all of their US sailings because those um, voyages were too long. Um, yeah. And uh, I guess uh, you know, for twenty twenty one at least. Uh, with the CDC guidelines, that will be something that we'll see a lot of cruise lines having to to adjust.
1: Um, yeah, I've certainly seen that this week. Yeah,
2: yeah, and then also, um, you know, April it's sort of like I guess a month that cruise lines are starting to to zero in on now because it gives you time to do those preparations to restart because the restart is going to take some time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's been a, by by next year it's been a year since crew have been on board these ships of, on the large scale that is required for passengers to come on board. Uh, and so, we've also seen MSC saying that they're going to be restarting their operations in April as well. So, um, you know, April 2021, we should start to see some very interesting changes if things go according to plan um, with these ships being, you know, in the lead up to that being re reprovisioned and re And And um, I, I imagine, Baz, there'll have to be all sorts of training done with people to, to remind them how to operate the ships and how to yes, do the, exactly. the work that they're doing. Because, you know, during layup, they've still got their offices and stuff on board, but know, the whole hotel department, entertainment, all that sort of thing, Um, it'll be a year having not done that, that work, it will be, um, you know, you'd be a bit rusty, so.
1: Yeah, actually, in a similar vein, I was talking to somebody the other day about um, pilots, and obviously pilots Mm. need to keep up their hours to be able to to get their certificate to to be able to operate Mm. on commercial aircraft, and obviously, some of these pilots are no longer flying, and you can't just fly in a simulator to keep your hours up, you've got to fly a real commercial aircraft, so you know when everything does restart and the the big boom comes which we expect will do there might be a, a real shortage of pilots as well
2: yeah yeah it's going to be um i mean i just was thinking about it you know the, uh, the the people who 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 run you know airlines but also who run the you know the the ex- experience that you have on board the cruise ships you know that there's been say so say for example it restarts in april there's been 12 months, obviously, since they were last on board the ships. But in that 12 months, you can't expect them not to have been trying to do anything else to get, um, you know, income and yeah. stuff. So, you know, people might have moved on. They might have had different. They might have different plans. A lot of the the crew that you you'll know from repeat voyages on ships that have been there for years, whether or not they're going to be able to come back is is you know who who knows at this stage. So it could be a situation where the the companies have to do a whole um, training regime. It's a big, it's a big job to get the thing restarted. Um, Shutting it down was painful, but, uh, and, and took, took a long time to repatriate crew, but you can shut something down. I think quicker than you can, then you can start it back up again because of the, uh, because of the the logistics that are required to get everybody back onto the ships from all these different places around the world. Yeah. I guess,
1: I guess the cruise lines that have got their, their, Personalised training schools in mm. Indonesia and the Philippines are probably starting to ramp those training academies back up so that they have got the, the crew trained and yeah, ready to go uh, sure. at some point in the new year. Now, let's uh, bring everything back to Australia briefly. Um, Carnival, which has the two ships uh, here in our mm-hmm. waters out of Sydney and Brisbane, they've announced a few changes for, for 2021.
2: Yeah, so I mean, all indications that I've seen have are uh, pointing towards the Australian international border remaining closed well into 2021, um, and so that would obviously also impact on cruise lines' abilities to offer international trips out of Australia. And you know, the the boom in cruising here over the last 20 years has very much been fueled by South Pacific cruises from Australian ports like Brisbane and Sydney up into. Um, into the South Pacific, or as far you know, as far as Fiji and that sort of thing, and then and also New, Z- New Zealand, but with a international border, with a big question mark over the top of it. I suppose cruise lines are, are now looking at um, at those itineraries, and so Carnival is is saying that they're going to be focusing quite heavily on Queensland, um, with a shift from those international trips and and re- rerouting these to become domestic, um, coastal voyages. I suppose so the ship would let leave. Um, you know, Brisbane and then sail along the Australian coast and visit other Queensland ports or um, also ports in New South Wales. Um, and this, um, they're saying, you know, it's it's a multi-million dollar sort of commitment to the state, uh, which will be great for Queensland because I know um, just recently with the Queensland border um, relaxing a little bit, I think I've heard multiple reports on um on, on the news that uh, the tourism operators up in the north of of Queensland are very relieved to be um, to be able yeah. to start offering some tourism again and um, it'd be great for Queensland's, um, you know, uh, economy to have these cruise ships offering these coastal voyages because every time one of these cruise ships pulls in to a port, um, like Brisbane, for example, will benefit because it's a turnaround port, there's lots of food and fuel and provisions and lots Prison, of stuff that yep, gets yep. loaded on board. But also when it goes to, to ports um, in the north, like Cairns or um, or Port Douglas, you know the tour operators that have been so heavily hit, and the uh, you know the land based um, attractions, they'll be able to benefit from from passengers visiting. And if it's uh, Australian guests only, and Australian coastal, uh, with Australia in the situation that it's in, with such a such a good um, uh, COVID situation at the moment, comparatively. Um, you know it should be a relatively safe way to travel
1: yeah i mean i'm just looking at those figures they reckon that 30% of the the season now will be converted from international to to, to queensland mm. and I, don't, I this has come from a press release so it must be correct but it's a 16.7 billion dollar boost to the queensland economy that's that's it's, incredible it's figures yeah yeah just shows how uh, how much uh, cruising does contribute to the economy everywhere it uh, touches and um, also, seen in Australia, we've got Coral Expeditions, which we've
2: spoken about quite a bit. They're mm. a small
1: ship operator, normally on the Barrier Reef, yeah, and in the Kimberley, but they've uh, just been given the go-ahead for another destination.
2: Yeah, so of course, their name kind of gives away where their um, original home base was, with the with the coral uh, uh, focus there. But they'll be they'll now be sailing to Tasmania in twenty twenty one. Um, as early as January, I think it is, through to March. Yeah, yeah. Um, and these are these are small ships. Um, as you said, sort of sixty. Well, they'll be they'll be traveling with um, about sixty passengers on board because of um the social distancing requirements on the ships. They're about um you know about sixty meters long, about eighteen hundred tons, so quite small, but um they have that sort of expedition style, so you can get up nice and close to to nature and into ports where the big cruise ships just couldn't couldn't go. Um, and they'll be sailing. Um, with uh, ta- sort of Tasmanian wildlife and heritage experts on board to help um, sort of boost that experience for passengers. And what I thought was kind of interesting is that when they reposition down to to Hobart, they're going to do uh, Sydney to Hobart, which is kind of like um, yeah, a copying the Sydney to Hobart yacht race <laughs> route, which will be quite interesting.
1: Yeah, no, I think actually I think they've done that before. Thinking about it, but um, yeah, great to see that they've got a dedicated season down there. And I actually went to Tasmania for the first time earlier this year on a cruise and what a beautiful place i would no, never had any desire to go there but it is a great yeah. uh, part of australia to,
2: to go and see and visit yeah we were um so, so years ago went um down to tasmania on the queen mary twos inaugural and oh, yeah. uh having the, the ship was anchored off uh, uh port arthur and you've just got this yep. <laughs> massive ship um with this heritage site next to it it was quite interesting sort of that um good comparison in the scale of the, of the two of the yeah. two objects there but um really interesting to to get you know, you can leave the ship on a tender boat and be right there in a in a heritage listed area, um, without having to take buses or anything like that. So it was it was really well done. Yeah.
1: Now uh, you mentioned Queen Mary there; she's uh, well known in Southampton. But there's some exciting news for the port of Southampton.
2: Yeah. So the Southampton's the UK's leading passenger port, and um, you know has been for. Um, Decades and decades. Um, in fact, Cunard um, made their switch across to Southampton 101 years ago uh, this month. Liverpool was the the previous wow. hub, um, but White Star Line was there before. P&O had a presence there, so it's been a it's been a very busy busy port for a long time. Um, and as they sort of shift more and more towards um, leading the cruise uh, boom out of the UK, they've been building more and more terminals um, in Southampton, and they've got a number of them now. Um, Four very Some of them are, one of them is much older than the others, but for for quite, um, you know, modern, pleasant uh, terminals. But they've now committed, well, they're they're already well underway, actually, in building a fifth one. Um, It's uh, 55 million pounds worth of new terminal, which I think the current exchange rate, um, you know, sounds like a lot more impressive in dollars. But, um, (laughs) you know, it's um, scheduled to open next year. And the the architecture of the building is quite interesting. It's kind of got a, like a, a very slim line, but wave shaped roof. It's kind of peaks up at the top, so it's it oh, yeah. looks quite elegant next to the the artist renditions of the ships behind it. Um, what's interesting here is that the roof is actually covered in solar panels, so it's um, the terminal itself can 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 uh, uh, reduce its carbon footprint compared to other terminals. But it also has facilities built into it to allow those ships that can do um, sort of cold ironing or, or plug into the um, plug into the grid to to uh, switch off their engines when they're berthed at that particular uh, port uh, p- um, pier rather yeah so you know this is um, s- this is something that is becoming more and more important um, and I think we'll start to see a push for that in in even in Australian ports because there's obviously a lot of um, complaining that happens when the cruise ships are in about the the smell of the diesel fuel um, in populated areas and these new facilities allow the ships to basically run on um, on the grid and uh, and switch off their engines to reduce that um, those carbon emissions.
1: Yeah, it's, I think I think from memory, Seattle was one of the first ports to to introduce this uh, cold ironing um, and is very, very popular for the, the ships that are heading up to Alaska. So great to see that there is the opportunity in the UK. Mm. And I also read that this terminal is kind of not dedicated to, but will probably primarily be used by MSC and Norwegian because they've had some sort of um, involvement or investment in there as well.
2: Yeah, yep, yep. And, and that will also help encourage their their growth out of the UK market because, you know, the UK, um, the Southampton particular port has historically been so heavily dominated by P&O UK and um, and Cunard. Uh, so the more uh, you know terminals that are built, then the more there's uh, potential for growth because you, you, there's no real desire to anchor and tender service in in a turnaround port. So um, it's great for them to be able to have these extra facilities.
1: Yeah, I'd never thought about that actually. When you when you just said that, that the UK ships generally use Southampton, whereas the big American uh, brands tend to use Dover. Um, so this gives them an opportunity, obviously, to yeah to come further. Well, up Southampton the coast, has yeah. such great
2: facilities too. Like, I mean, it's just that the trains come straight in from London. Yep. Um, yep. There's hotels there. There's more and more hotels. Like when I first sailed out of Southampton, um, you know, decades ago. <laughs> there was like two hotels in the in the city centre that were of like modern quality and there was lots of older sort of motel kind of accommodation um, but yep. now there's there's all sorts of options there's um, you know huge shopping centers there it's uh, it's become uh, you know and parks and the whole city's kind of revitalized itself in a wonderful museum in Sea City Museum that has a sort of heritage and history of the of, of the shipping out of Southampton so it, it is um, a very convenient cruise port and the, I think the one thing that they they might have been lacking was, um, you know, easy access to modern terminals. But I think over the last sort of 10 years with the, with the new Ocean Terminal and now with this investment, they'll, um, they're definitely on the right track there.
1: Brilliant. Now, we spoke a couple of times over the past couple of weeks about, um, you know, record sales and big numbers doing various different things. But um, Pannon's had an event over the past week that's attracted a significant number of people Really interested in this small ship expedition style cruising, which we we have said on the podcast mm. before. It'll be small ship, it'll be expedition, it'll be river cruising that really um, does boom. But uh, tell us more about this Panant event.
2: Well, yeah, that's the interesting thing, Baz, is that they've they've been sort of one of the um, cruise lines that's sort of kept a very active presence online with um, moving some of their um, events and um, you know customer engagement things onto. Onto the, onto the internet during this particular cruise pause that we've been going through. Um, and, yeah, this latest one, hundreds of people um, attended to to learn more about voyage, uh, these expedition voyages to Antarctica, um, which, you know, it's definitely something that's on my bucket list. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it just seems like such a wonderful way to see such a unique part of the world. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm not surprised that it's crea- created a lot of attention. Um, and that would be voyages that would be sailed by their hybrid powered ship, um the Commandant Chacot, which is one of their new ships. Um, yeah. and you know I think um, it's the turnout i think it was over seven hundred people that they they said in their in their media briefing the the turnout itself was um was more than what they expected, but again with the um, with the destination and the uniqueness of both the ship and the location it it does make sense. And then yeah. you were saying about um, River Cruises being one of the ways that things kind of relaunch, yeah. but um, Riviera River Cruises has launched their 2022 schedule, and they were saying that this is their biggest ever um, schedule of of voyages that they've released in one particular time, I think, because, as you mentioned, due to that demand.
1: Yeah, I mean, Riviera's uh, very, very well-known in the UK. It's a very strong River Cruise brand. Here in Australia, it's relatively new, but people are starting to notice because... Um, yeah, they, they've got some beautiful ships. They offer no single supplements or um, mm. and they've, you know, putting more and more itineraries into there. So it, it's great to and see. They've launched uh, like, know, all
2: sweet river ships. So, um, yeah, yeah. you know, everyone's having this luxurious experience.
1: And I think with river, it's, it's really important to remind the listeners and people that are considering river cruise go and speak to a, a really good cruise specialist because even if you're an ocean cruiser, mm. moving over to river um, can be quite confusing. Every River cruise line offer something different. Some are all inclusive; some don't offer everything. And you know, you don't want to be paying for stuff that you are not going to use. And equally, you want to be on a ship with like minded people. So, don't be disappointed. Make sure you speak to a, a really yeah. good cruise specialist so that they can find
2: that right ship and that right cruise line for you. I think, I think it's, you know the, the the ships are so much so much smaller than the ocean ships, but so the facilities might be quite different from what you are expecting. But then the the itineraries and the ability for you to sort of um, I guess like organically move between the ship and the and the places that yep. you're visiting is is so much more uh, integrated that um, you have to really approach it with a, with a slightly different mindset I think in order to in order to not be surprised by the experience change. Yeah, yep, yeah, no exactly. Yep.
1: And um, we spoke a lot about people announcing new itineraries for 2022 last mm. week. Norwegian Cruise Lines have actually come out with their 23 itineraries for mm-hmm. the Northern Hemisphere.
2: Yeah, they're going pretty much everywhere. Um, they've got <laughs> uh, you know a suite of, um, uh, of voyages to the Mediterranean and then, of course, the other really popular um, sunny destination of the Caribbean. They're also sending ships to Northern Europe. They've got voyages to Bermuda. They're having a, a strong presence again in Alaska. And then staying you know quite far north, they've got ships in Canada, both on the East and West Coast uh, and the Northern United States. And these are itineraries that are going to feature a variety of different ships um, from, you know, the older ships, such as the Norwegian Jewel and Norwegian Sun, which I think we've, we've spoken about before and have been in the fleet for quite some time, all the way through to some of their newer ships like Escape and Encore. Um, so there's a, a variety of different destinations from all the different sort of northern European uh, and northern American, like, favourite areas yeah, but you can yeah. choose to experience it on a on a older smaller ship or on one of their newer, bigger um vessels and all of them of course are, are sort of famed within ncl for that freestyle um style experience on board so it's a little bit different from some of the other cruise lines um and i've never personally traveled with MC- ncl it's definitely another one that's on my list of things to do but there's some great videos okay. and some great reviews I think emma who's spoken to you before um on here she's yeah, yeah. done she, she loves her review on, on Norwegian, but she's got some great videos online as well, if you wanted to check those out.
1: Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I think, um, you, again, it's a, down to a good cruise specialist or somebody that you know mm. the cruise knows the ships well. You're either going to love the big new ships or you're going to favor the, the slightly older uh, vessels mm. because they do have a different vibe, a different feel on board. Um, not saying that they look old on the deck or anything. It's just the... The flow and the public spaces and yeah. things like that. Though, so when we say uh, again, old,
2: we, we're still talking about like post, oh, post-2000s, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, they've got all of the you know air conditioning and um, uh, modern interiors and show lounges and vacuum flush toilets and all that sort of stuff. It's just that they're, you know, like a scale of magnitude smaller than the, the giant yeah. big ones. Yeah.
1: That we've been building over the last kind of five years or so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> now, Chris, uh, we're, we're almost done, but I have got a listener question which I forgot to send through to you. So, sure. question without warning. Okay. Um, it's they uh, they were asking um, about Christmas cruising. Uh-huh. They uh, between the family, they they're trying to plan a, a multi generational cruise for next Christmas because obviously they haven't seen each other this year. Sure. Um, sorry, this is I think it's pronounced Xi'an, S I A N they um some of the family are kind of like well we we want to spend Christmas at home and the others are would you go on a cruise at Christmas and I'm like absolutely if you've if you've not been on a Christmas cruise highly recommend it but have
2: you done a Christmas cruise yourself I haven't no no the closest I've got to um, I mean I've I've been on the ships sort of just before Christmas and just after Christmas but never actually over Christmas but um look I mean again uh it sounds to me like this podcast is a list of my things that I want to do in the future and <laughs> um, it definitely it definitely is on the, on the list um, and, and seeing the photos and videos and stuff from the ships during Christmas I mean the, the ship takes on another um, atmosphere with the decorations and the themes and the events that they that they organize for you and if you can get on board with with the you know obviously as Sean was saying with the family uh, and the extended family so you're not having that, that issue of like well who's missing out this year? that would be a great way to spend it because you wouldn't have to worry about all of the uh, preparations and all of the packing up afterwards and all that sort of thing. It would be, yep. be absolutely brilliant. But you said you've been, so what did you think?
1: Oh, absolutely. We did it a couple of years ago um, and highly, highly recommend it. So the big thing is if you're traveling as a big family, you can go off and do your own thing throughout the day. And we just had one rule as a group, that we would always have dinner together every evening. And um, More often than not, we had more than that t- together. But you know, if the, the grandparents want to be off and doing – a bit of line dancing or a bit of bingo but the kids want to be in kids club and you just want to be reading a book or by the pool or doing Mm. a different activity you can all go off and do your own different things and then just come back together at least once a day and you know talk about what you've been up to and talk about your experiences and then of course you get around to to christmas eve and christmas day and the ship puts on even more Mm. christmasy activities not just for the kids but for the the whole family you know there's normally a tree lighting ceremony there's cookie decorating and obviously there's a a visit from the, the the guy in the big red suit um but uh, we didn't take too many presents for each other. We just kind of uh, had a, a secret Santa time scenario so that everybody got one particular gift. But the best thing is that nobody has to wash up. Nobody has <laughs> to do the cooking. Uh, you come back to your stateroom and it's all been freshly made. No, you've got to not worry about picking up the wrapping paper. You know, it's it's just a very, very easy holiday for everybody. There's not one person having to you do too much of the work that you would probably yeah. have if you, you had a, a family celebration back at home for, for everybody. That so, sounds good. Yeah, highly recommend it. Yeah, um, but a if lot people budget, are I mean, missing Christmas,
2: it this year, I think. <laughs>
1: oh, for sure. But if your budget doesn't stretch to a Christmas cruise, which may be a little bit more than a traditional cruise, you can always do a pre-Christmas cruise because generally from about the 1st of December, the, the decorations are going to be up and it's still going to feel very festive. Yeah. You're just not going to have those yeah. extra little touches. So there's, there's ways to, to
2: to get around everything. Yeah, I mean... I, um. Some a couple of years back, the Aster, on board the Asta there was it was pre pre Christmas, but they had all the decorations up. They had um, yeah. a, a gingerbread um, display that the chefs had just made, you know, and that sort of thing. So it, it does become quite festive. And um, again, like it was just um, just a few days after Christmas when I was on board uh, uh, the Black Watch, and she again was just completely like Fred Olsen ship, she was completely decorated inside, and she just had this unique and um, uh, it was a very warm and inviting atmosphere that made you feel like it was just a little bit extra special um mm-hmm. sadly both of those ships are now out of service so <laughs> yeah life yeah yeah but um, in fact we didn't we didn't include that in today's
1: history and i should have done because the astor actually arrived into turkey just a few days yeah, ago
2: shame she's now being beached there's um quite a um it's a bit of an alarming video i suppose it's a very close-up view it's on instagram yep. of astor being driven at speed up onto the beach and uh Um, Shame she's now going to be broken up. So a lot of people have had their first cruise experience on board, Asta. I know I've spoken to a lot of people from Australia particularly who, who, because the prices were so reasonable and the itineraries were quite short, um, Mm -hmm. did like a two- or three-night trip and then that's sort of what started their love of cruising in the recent years. Um, But she's she's not going to be um, at sea any longer. Yeah,
1: and actually, in more positive view, just before I came on to record this with you, I saw a picture from Fred Olsen um, painting the funnels of what was the Holland America ships mm. into the uh, the beautiful red uh, yeah. of, of uh, what uh, the, the, the Fred Olsen ships they look great, have. They so, great,
2: don't they? Yeah, it, it's very striking. And the hulls are getting a slight change because, you know, Holland America is a dark blue um, yep. uh, navy and uh, Fred Olsen's is slightly lighter. So you can see on some of these pictures that there's sort of a section of the ship that's now been getting that lighter treatment. They're going to look very smart in their new... And then you live. Now, what's been happening on your socials this week, Chris? What's uh, We've got any new videos about to come out or just come out? Just come out, actually. And, yeah, you um, on the same topic, actually, it was an, another update on a, a, another series of ships that have been either sold or are being sent to, to scrap, um, covering, of course, what's happened with Aster um, and then looking at uh, uh, the, the speculation, I suppose, around Marco Polo. Um, the the fi- potential final voyage of, um, the Gra- uh, of Grand Celebration, which was uh, formerly oh, a Carnival yeah. Cruise Line ship, um, and of course the the old Holland America Westerdam, which has been sailing as Marella Dream. Um, she's um, also been sold um, as well. So yeah, it's a bit of a a bit of a depressing series of videos recently about all of the ships going to scrap. But it certainly is um, sort of a once in a generation. to see this number of cruise ships going off so um, you know hopefully it keeps people updated as to what's going on with their favorite favorite ships
1: brilliant and um we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago but is is there still time for anybody interested to order your uh, coloring books for
2: for the kids or for the relatives that love cruising absolutely i mean depending on when people where people are listening from um there is plenty of time or there is still some time (laughs) um (laughs) they're all shipped over from um the UK is where the publisher is based, of course. So, um, if you're a UK listener, you you can get them from you know your local bookshop, or um, of, a lot of people buy them on Amazon and that sort of thing. Uh, US as well, they're available there, um, and in Australia, again, Amazon Australia. They also you can find them on Dimix online that sort of thing. But um, you'll just need to uh, maybe give yourself a little bit extra time for it to be um, sent over if there is um, no stock here. Uh, some some of the bookshops have it, and some of them don't. So yeah the piano coloring book and the keynote coloring book and it's just sort of um a really nice way to to reminisce on cruise experiences during what's been a pretty rough year for cruising
1: <laughs> brilliant i'll uh, as always i'll put the link to the, the the books and also to the the social pages for the videos into the show notes but chris it's uh, always a pleasure and Thanks, uh, i'm sure next friday we'll be here very very quickly
2: thank you I'll speak to you next time
1: As I mentioned, there's a little way you can help keep this uh, podcast on air. That's right, just for the cost of a coffee, uh, so about four Aussie dollars, about two pounds something, about two euros something, um, you can make a donation, and that helps uh, keep the lights on and keep the, the podcast uh, producing in the, in this weekly format. Um, or you can join up as a member and make a, a monthly uh, subscription, and in return receive some incredible um, bonus material as well. Um, all the details are on the show notes of each individual podcast, or you can head to uh, the website, buymeacoffee.com. And uh, we look forward to uh, shouting you out if you are able to, uh, to make a little donation. Thanks in advance.
0: That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage.